This week on Center City Overtime, we can continue our conversation about love and we figure out what it means to grow roots down into the love of God. We talk about fear and hate and how they can be poisonous and, and parasitic to your faith journey. And then ultimately, we have a pretty good conversation about what it means to capture thoughts. Let's get it. Center City Church, you already know. Welcome to Center City Overtime, a weekly podcast where we take a little more time to dive into Sunday's message. And we are right in the middle of our love series out of 1 John 4. And this week we talked all about being rooted, which is why we have these lovely plants with us today. Because they're still here from Sunday. That's right. $10 Walmart specials. <laughs> yeah, and they're still alive, which is the true miracle. Amen. Um, so I want to talk really just like sticking to the metaphor before we get to the the spiritual meaning behind it, about this idea of being rooted and having space for roots to grow. Will you talk, I mean, we, we all know Jess is the expert, but since she's not here, will you talk a little bit about what it means for a plant to have the right space to be rooted? Yeah, so um, <clears throat> plants have vascular systems. Um, what, what that basically means is that all of the nutrition from the plant comes from the actual soil. So where a plant roots matters because that's where it's going to get all of its source for growth, whether it's water, um, even what the kind of plant does with photosynthesis, although it happens at the tree, le uh, at the leaf level, it's gathered at the leaf level, a lot of that happens at the heart of the plant, and that vascular system then does the work of transporting all of those nutrients to wherever the plant or tree needs. So that's kind of the picture of why, where you're rooted absolutely matters. And then kind of what we read in Colossians is that we're to root down into the love of, of Christ because ultimately what we read in First John is that we're being compelled to grow in the love of God. You're such a good pastor. Like you can't stay in the metaphor. I you tried. just got to dive I right tried. into the spiritual, but that's totally fine. Um, one of the things that I've noticed, and it might just be because I have this song stuck in my head about having no roots, but um, a lot of us today seem to not really want to be rooted in much of anything, like whether that is rooted in Christ or anything else. It's more like this idea that I can pick up and move at any moment. And um, I just wonder if you would speak to a little bit of what you kind of see going on and why that might be. Well, I don't think it's the natural position of humanity. I don't think as people there's innate desires in us to be rootless. I actually think the exact opposite. I think in our natural position, like, Without all the baggage of our past, the average person is going to desire to be rooted because I think we are hardwired to desire rooting. We want to be, we want to find a place where we can be ourselves, a place where we can be fully alive, a, a place of abundance, a place of stability. And unfortunately, for a lot of people, um, when they don't root in the right places and they come to seasons of turmoil and where winds blow and kind of they're navigating loss. They kind of feel the weight of what it means to be rooted to the wrong thing. And now the natural kind of defense mechanism becomes, well, I'm just not going to root at all. Maybe I'm just a person that doesn't need roots. So we become sojourners. And unfortunately, we've kind of glamorize that culturally, like this idea of, oh, you're going to find yourself in deep travel. And I'm, I'm all for travel, and I think there's things you can learn. But ultimately, you can travel the world. If you don't have a good root system, it doesn't mean that there's any stability in you. Uh, yeah. uh, the first season of chaos comes, and instantly it's, oh, my goodness, I don't know what to do because there's no roots. Mm -hmm. And um, it's, it's funny that you say that because immediately 
I go back to this time when in the span of five years, I lived on three different continents and the US twice within that time. And what it really meant is that I needed more roots because in, able to, in order to be able to, to be in a lot of different places, I actually had to be rooted more deeply in Christ. Um, and it just makes me think about how you talk about potted plants and you actually did this live on Sunday, which congratulations, yeah. gardening and preaching at the same time. Let's go. Um, but a lot of times when the plants are in a pot that's too small, they stop growing because they have to be transferred to a pot that has more room. Even though there's all sorts of room in the air, they need more room for the roots to grow. How do you see that playing out in our own lives, just in our faith? No, that's a good question. Um, so where I get a little, th this metaphor is real clear. We're not designed to be rooted in anything except the love and the hope that, that, that Jesus offers, that the Father offers through the Son, Jesus. I say that because with plants specifically, cli uh, climate matters, environment matters. The type of soil that that plant is rooted in um, has to be the specific soil that it was created to be rooted in. You, my, it, my house is funny because although it could be cold outside, it could be 40 degrees outside, there's areas in my house that have a 60 to 70% humidity and 78 degrees because my wife is trying to take tropical plants and, uh, and, and create a situation where they could actually thrive, right? Uh, and she does a phenomenal job about it, but she's constantly fighting it because that's not its not—it's not its natural environment to be here in North Carolina. Um, so your natural environment, where your roots should be deep set into, is the love that God has for us. And the reason that's so critical is because there's not a bigger plot. <laughs> but in the same breath, he's loving enough as a gardener to know that there are seasons where you do have to be uprooted and moved. There's, there's seasons where your friend group's got to change and your, your, your work group's got to change or your, your, uh, the area where you live needs to change or even your mindset needs to be uprooted. But it doesn't mean that you leave that, that, that truth that you are grounded in the person of Jesus. Mm, that's so good. And I, I do think we lose track of that sometimes. I, want to, I do want to switch a little bit gears. It'll, it'll all come back and connect. But you had this amazing metaphor that you shared about this plant I'd never heard of before called the Australian Christmas tree. Will you just kind of briefly tell us what the Australian yeah. Christmas tree is? So I found out about this tree this week as I was doing studies about plants. And um, The Australian Christmas tree is this beautiful blooming tree in Australia. At least it looks that way. But if you look a little closer, what you'll find is that a lot of the limbs on the trees are actually dead because it's not a tree at all. It's actually a parasitic plant. And what the, um, the Australian Christmas tree does is it has this organ that actually burrows its way into the vascular system of the plant and takes it over. Eventually, it'll destroy the host tree and um, uh, basically grow in abundance. And the way that it does that is by attaching to its root system. It's actually pretty fascinating because um, if you examine the top of the tree, it's beautiful. But when you dig down and look at the roots, it's actually pretty amazing. It creates these white rings that kind of cut off the root at its, at its source. So yeah, the tips of the root are still fully functioning. But where that ring hits, it intercepts everything that would go into that tree's uh, vascular system and it feeds itself. It's pretty impressive. It's crazy. And the, the things that First John talks about, specifically in this chapter, that can do that when it comes to our love and our rootedness in Christ are fear and hate. 
And um, I know you use this metaphor to talk mostly about hate, but I think it kind of applies to both of them. And I just want to just kind of go to the very beginning of that, because I think none of us would disagree that if we let fear control our lives, we can't love. And if we let hate control our lives, we can't love. And yet for so many of us, it starts with just one thought that enters our head. And you don't even notice because it's this little teeny tiny thing way back at one root. And yet somehow we can give it the power to take over like this Australian Christmas tree where you, you can't even see the original tree because it's just covered in that parasite. So would you talk a little bit about how you think that process happens, how it goes from that one little thing to overpowering and then what we can do yeah. to stop that? Well, you know, the, the, the battle with fear and the battle with hate, the battle with a lot of these things happens in the mind. That's why scripture is really clear to be renewed, it's not a transforming of our body, it's a transforming of our mind, right? So a lot of these things originate with thought because thought is what kind of is the input to our mind, right? Like, um, so what ends up happening is we give space to things that we think are small and insignificant. And if we're not careful, those things take a life of their own and they grow. So a coworker sits down with you and starts gossiping about another coworker and you think, oh, well, this is harmless fun, six months later, you're completely grown into this place of bitterness with one of your coworkers that you never really had a relationship with, but you allowed that moment to grow. Same thing with hate, right? Someone makes an off-collar joke um, about something and you think, oh, well, it's just funny. We're just going to laugh about this thing. I don't really feel that way. Again, six months, a year, two years later, you find yourself completely enveloped uh, in the way that you treat somebody based off of this thought that you failed to, to, to grab a hold of. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's how hate grows. I think that's how fear grows. There's some other things like you know pride and, and so on and so forth, but ultimately that's why scripture is really clear. It speaks about being able to take um, control of every thought. And I think that that's important. It was taught to me at a young age and it's been critical for me is in order to stop fear and hate, at its roots, at, at like at the at the origin points, we have to be able to take captive every thought, the good ones and the bad ones. Um, we we capture those thoughts and then filter them based on what we know of God's word and what we know about what His word reveals about us. That's critical because it's not what I feel; it's what I know. So it's very much like a dashboard to a car. Something happens in the car, it, res- it, it shows up, it, it's indicated on the dashboard, and you make the decision based off of the indication that you received on the dashboard. I think that that's how your mind works, at least that helps me mm-hmm. kind of work through this. So as thoughts come in, I'm trying to ask the question, is God honored in this thought? Do I, is it a thought that kind of uh, uh, echoes the heart of God, or is it something that's in opposition to God? And then when I can figure that out, when I walk through that filtering process, then I know where to place it. Yeah. Um, and so much of that, again, is based off of the, like, it takes, it takes time. It requires, like, some effort. But when you're sitting down and talking with somebody over a cup of coffee and they say something that kind of strikes you, take captive that thought. Why did, it, why did it affect you the way that it did? What does the scripture say about that thing? Does it honor God? The, it, ultimately, is it a, um, does it speak to who you are? And, 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 and then once you can put those two things together, you're able then to make a decision on where it goes. Yeah, I, I, that's such a good skill. And I call it a skill because it is something we have to develop, even that consciousness of our thoughts, which this 
it's getting meta and might give someone a headache, but you know, you have to, you have to choose to recognize what you're thinking and not just kind of let it run rampant. And that in itself is a skill to be like, okay, I'm having this conversation and I'm still paying attention, but I'm also noticing what's happening in my head. And, and yeah, I did kind of get a little defensive right there. And why did I do that? And, um, I think that's something that we aren't taught very regularly. I mean, I was only taught it in a pastoral counseling class, um, just a year ago, but it is a skill that we need to develop because you can't take thoughts captive if you're not even aware that they're in yeah. there. I think I think there's there's two kind of really practical. As meta as you kind of felt like you were going, I think there's two mm-hmm. really practical things you just kind of commented on that I'd like to pull out. Number one, learning how to still. Like, there's this thought that you can't control how your brain. You, you're you're captive. You're slave to to how your brain functions. And I just refuse to believe that I'm a slave to anything except the love and hope that Jesus offers, right? So if, if, if there's a way that I can take control, it requires me to learn the discipline of taking control. And a part of that is learning how to still your mind. Mm-hmm. Not every conversation needs to be processed in the moment. And not everything that comes across your kind of dashboard deserves the weight of finding a place. There's some things that come across your dashboard. You just need to learn how to let it keep going. Yeah, I get that seatbelt sign every time because I'm in the process of buckling my seatbelt. There you go. But that, um, that ability to still your mind. And that's why I believe that even, um, spending time and focus, like a part of your prayer routine would be just to learn how to quiet yourself before Mm -hmm. the Lord, because it will um, create a place where you learn that discipline and not everything needs to be processed immediately. Like I'm not slave to that incessant need to process a, but then B it does require, like if I, if I'm saying that I'm a child of God and I want to live and build my life based on his word, it does require a familiarity with what the Lord says. I'm not telling you you have to memorize line and passage, but I do, you do have to be familiar with this word and continue in that familiarity and to the voice of God. So those exercises of daily reading, those exercises of daily prayer really go a long way in helping take captive because now I'm controlling myself and then I'm filtering those thoughts through that word. Yeah, that's so good. The only other thing that I would add to that, I feel like when we get to the practical part of this podcast, we're often saying the same thing, but um, having trusted people that you share that that process is happening because in our heads, it's easy to hide what's happening in our heads Absolutely. because we're the only ones who know that that's there. And yet there's so much power in confessing to one another what we're struggling with and having people who are going to love you, who are going to um, just gently ask you how it's going, encourage you, pray for you, that so often when it comes to our thoughts, we don't share because we don't have to. It's not like an action that people can notice. And yet there's so much power in not just sharing and confessing to the Lord, but also to one another. Absolutely. Um, it's, it's great. Well, tell us where we're headed this week. Oh, I can't wait. Um, when we talk about love often, specifically from First John, it's this really uh, beautiful picture of God's love for us and the blueprint he lays out for us and how to love one another and why we should love one another. And then the end of John 4, beginning of First John 5, he goes right into this this conversation about battles and victories and overcoming the evil world. So we're going to talk about what it means to fight and uh, to, to lay down a good battle strategy in that fight 
um, so that your love can continue to grow, so that we can continue to be people who are motivated to showcase the love of God to a world who so desperately needs it right now. So I'm excited. This is whenever we talk about fighting, I get excited. So Yeah, and it, it fits in our love series. Absolutely. Because love is a battlefield. You're welcome. Uh, <laughs> sorry. Somewhere Pat Benatar is rolling over <laughs> in a grave. I don't know if she's dead She or might not. still be alive. If she is, I'm sorry, Pat. My bad. My bad. Well, whether Pat Benatar is with us or not, Sunday morning, 10 a.m., we cannot wait 